every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd. He's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur. I am your host, Brian Carney. I'm excited to have my guest, Ed Wallace, today. He is the founder of Relational Capital Group, which he later sold to Achieve Next. Now, he's the managing director of human capital at Achieve Next. He is a frequent keynote speaker, best-selling author of four books, and the creator of software program that measures the strength of relationships of clients and centers of influences. And finally, in his spare time, he's a faculty member at Drexel University and Villanova University. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Brian. The check's in the mail for that great intro. I appreciate, that. <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so for our conversation, Ed is at the office and apparently at some offices, it's frowned upon to, to have a beer. So Ed's going to be doing a coffee and I'm going to be doing a beer from Thin Man Brewery. So my family, we went to the uh, Finger Lakes for vacation and I saw this beer called Pills Mafia. Now I'm a giant Philadelphia Eagles fan, but this is an ode to the Bills, and I always respect uh, the Bills Mafia, so I wanted to give this a try. So we'll be, we'll be giving this a rating at the end. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Cheers to you. Cheers, Brian. Which Finger Lake were you on? Uh, on Seneca Lake. Mm. Beautiful there. I've been on Lake Seneca a bunch of times. Yeah. That it, is really beautiful. I didn't realize, my wife and I aren't huge wine drinkers, but I didn't realize that was you know, basically the East Coast capital of, of wine. Oh, yeah. We did, we did go sample a couple, but it was it, beautiful there. And all those upstate New York wineries have those wine slushies. That's right. Oh, there's nothing like a wine slushie in the middle That's of right. summer. Yeah. I believe they had a couple called the, a froze, I believe it was called. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yep. yep. Well, thanks again for doing this. Um, sure. Let's start out. Tell us a little bit about your business and, and what it is. Well, I, you know, I was a VP of sales for many years at a technology company, and then um, one day, my uh, youngest son fell off a skateboard, and he had to be medevac to the children's hospital. Here, he's fine today. He's a college baseball player. All that, everything's fine. But in the context of that process, I had a catharsis that if um, if an eight-year-old can fall off a skateboard and we have this kind of trauma, when the hell am I going to do what I really want to do? Right. <laughs> what I always wanted to do was um, get up in front of people and help them get better at selling. Help them get better at uh, you know, accomplishing their goals. And um, I, I had to come up with a platform because there was a ton of sales training companies and I was kind of good at relationships. So I figured, you know what? Nobody's teaching relationships. And uh, I wrote a few books and we got some, we got some traction. And then, you know, I wrote a third book and Dow Chemical, you know, large company right. got attracted to that. And that's what really set us on the path we're on. And, um, you know, I've been in, I don't know how many different countries uh, presenting the concepts or our facilitators have done the same. And then in 2017, I got approached by an old friend who was aggregating uh, human capital service companies 
Yep. And uh, it's not like I'm getting any younger, Brian. So, <laughs> and I had no succession plan. Yeah. Um, I, I never had a plan for anything, by the way, which goes completely against everything you advise your clients, right? That's right. I didn't yes. have one plan. Yeah. I didn't look at one spreadsheet. <laughs> so don't do that. Right. Um, I just went by instincts and relationships. And um, so I wound up selling the company. Uh, we had a lot of accounts and, you know, a lot of revenue to, uh, to achieve next. And, um, you know, for the next seven, eight years, as I earn my way out, um, I'm running the practice here that we call Achieve Next Human Capital. So that, there's my story. That's phenomenal. So let, let's back up. So you spend basically 20 years in corporate America. And mm -hmm. how long into your, your time in corporate America did you realize, you know what, this isn't really for me. And then you sort of had, I guess, the, the life-changing moment of your son falling off the skateboard. So how did that all sort of play out from a time perspective? There, but for a skateboard, I'd still be there. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know what? Um, I call it my J-O-B. Yeah. It's a three-letter word. Right. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I really, I worked at a company with a great culture. So right. I was lucky. And I could have stayed there for another 15 or 20 years and then, and, and called it a great, um, a, a, a great career. I always kind of took the road less traveled and everything I did. Yeah. I, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I quit the CYO team and went and played for the public league team. And we wound up crushing the CYO team <laughs> and winning the championship. Right? Now, what's more was, was that? So was that basketball, baseball? That was basketball. Okay. And then when I got out of college, what do I do? I quit a big uh, eight accounting firm job and I go bartend and get a master's degree. And all my friends are coming into the bar in three-piece suits and I'm back there in shorts and a crappy t-shirt. <laughs> but I had, a, I had a, a sense that I don't want to be on the same road that everybody was on. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with being on the same road that other people are on. And then as I got into my sales career, I start watching these folks who did sales training, who got up in front of audiences. And I said, you know, I want to do that. Yeah. I want to do that. And um, so it's not like I didn't like my job, uh, but I always had this fuzzy vision that I could do that. And, um, you know, I've uh, it's kind of it's kind of worked out pretty well. I'm, well actually, I I'm actually out giving speeches again, uh, a lot of associations and companies we work with are bringing are bringing people together at venues so i was in orlando three times in the last two months and oh, i that's was great. in hampshire and i'm going to i'm going to texas in two weeks so it's it's getting better it, that's for sure yeah going along the lines of the the sort of the road less traveled you know <laughs> i've read uh two of your books and um you do an excellent job and i think it's very different in the world of business books where you sort of have a novel weaved into a story about business. And I think that's a really unique thing to be able to do. How were you even able to come up with that as a, as a premise or an idea? So I was fortunate. I don't know. I just, I guess I attract different kinds of people. I don't know. But when I was a young sales rep, I, I had a cab driver named Max pull up one day to take me to the airport in a London taxi in, uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs. Yeah. And uh, Max was the first sales mentor I ever had. And he, 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 he created just a great experience for people in that cab. So I chronicled our, our rides, yeah. thinking someday I'll tell people these stories. And then when I decided to start writing books after 
the cathartic moment, uh, I pulled out all my old Mac stories and people love stories. Absolutely. Uh, you know, these days is, can you tell a story, right? I know you're probably doing that in your, in your business. Brian. Sure. So we weave stories, not just about a cab driver, but all kinds of different leaders. Yeah. And, um, and people love hearing those stories. And, and most of the time, those stories get back to the way those people built relationships. Right. And we call them building competitor proof relationships in your business, Brian financial advisor, you're doing really well. You got your own business now. I knew you when you were coming up in that, then attracting clients to you versus other folks. Yeah. And, and if we can kind of capture that it, and, and, and it's probably has to do with your sincerity. You're, you're incredibly sincere. You're curious. And there's something about the culture you're building that's making you all successful. Right. Um, so let me ask you a question. Sure. What's made you guys successful? You know, it's I, I was interviewing someone today and they asked me that exact question. They said, you know, what is the driving force behind growth? And it's funny that I'm having this conversation with you right now because I said it's our ability to develop relationships with not only centers of influence, but, our, you know, our clients deeply. And we think that that does make a huge difference. You know, you could talk about investments all you want, but when you have a real relationship with someone, I think that really does elevate your ability to connect with someone. And, and again, we call that locating their relational GPS. You yeah. may or may not remember that concept, but you're finding a way to understand their business and personal goals, their causes or passions, things people care deeply about and or their struggles. And almost anything that person shares with you can be categorized as a goal, passion, or struggle. And, and the more you can locate that and, and, and connect with them around that, the better chance you have to advance the relationship. We all know relationships carry the day when a buyer or decision maker, whether it be their own personal finances or decisions they're making for a company budget, the relationship generally carries the day. Yeah. So how do we build those relationships? Yeah. Uh, you know, the cab driver's name was Max. He asked great questions and they were aligned with the person in the cab. So he asked salespeople sales questions. He asked business leaders, business leader questions. He asked grandparents, grandparent questions. He asked kids about their toys. Right. He targeted his, we call it a targeted conversation. And he targeted that conversation to the GPS of that rider. And uh, if you look at it, if you looked at this fellow's business, uh, he had a full pipeline, he had yeah. predictable forecast, his cash flow was guaranteed. Yeah, he got a ton of referrals. They're all things that we want uh, when we're running a business. Sure. Well, and you, if you think about it, you talk about is there a more of a commodity than a taxi cab, right? You know, to be able to have such a full, right. you know, to have a full slate of, and really elevate that type of business where you're just giving, a, and this is, you know, pre Uber and, and Lyft days. That's pretty amazing to be able right. to do that, you know, and, and to, to make that, this that's guy was all, the original Uber. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, the original, and he, he had a unique car too, right? It was a London taxi. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So he drove a, a London, like a black taxi around. And when we tell the max stories, when we're doing our, our professional development programs, we talk about how he made every interaction matter. Yeah. And he never, he, he said the secret to success was little things. Mm -hmm. He called them little extras. 
And if you think about, he left no stone unturned from the cab yeah. to the cleanliness of the cab, to the conversation in the cab, to the timeliness. He created a competitor-proof experience in a commodity business. Well, guess what? Almost any business today can be commoditized by competition. What can't be commoditized are the relationships. It's such a great point. Yeah, they make all the difference. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to something you just mentioned. So you said, just so I uh, make sure I heard you correctly, mm -hmm. you said three things that a relationship can be built when someone is sharing, would you say, a goal, a passion, or a struggle? Yep. Can you go into that a little bit more in, in detail and how that really helps someone connect? Sure. I, you know, I was I was trying to form this business. And I'm like, I need, I need something. Like yeah. a writer that writes fiction needs that opening line to the book. Like right. the night was something, right? Right, right. <laughs> the night was this, the <laughs> night was that, the night was sultry. It's something. So I, I, you know, we're trying, we, I'm trying to create tools so that it's not just stories about people and cab drivers. Right. And uh, the tool that, you know, over about a year or so popped into my head was it was goals, challenges, and causes. Right. right. And I'm like, eh. And I'm like, and I, and then somewhere along the line, somebody mentioned a GPS system and I'm like, goals, passions, and struggles. It just was like, this thing hit me. And almost anything that a client shares with you, Brian, you can, you can write it down on a piece of paper. You can type it as you're talking with them. It's going to be a goal. It's going to be a passion. Or it's going to be a struggle. Almost. Yeah. It's really hard to find, for them to share something. So, so let's say, I ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my hundred dollar for free okay. opening question to a potential client. Okay? All right. So uh, let's, pretend, let's pretend you're a, you're a, a business owner and we're trying to talk to you about uh, our, our services. Okay. First thing I might ask, first thing I might ask you is something like, and I'm going to, let's just do this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Brian, really amazingly challenging year for everybody. Sure. But if you look back on the last 12 to 18 months, yep. what do you think is the number one accomplishment that you had in your business? Go ahead. I would have, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So um, I would say to go from being a business that was 99% of our uh, interactions with clients was face-to-face -to, -face to going to 99% virtually, essentially overnight and not losing, not the, the client experience wasn't lost during that. Okay. And then, okay. So here's my second question. Yep. So why was that the most important thing with everything else you had going on? Why was that the most important thing? Well, I guess it's due to the fact that that allows us to interact with our clients in the best way. And I guess in, in that helped us maintain our relationships with them. Okay. Can you tell me more about that? Tell, yeah. Tell me, tell me how it helped you maintain your relationship. Like, because I'd rather meet you in person, but tell me more. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're basically not allowed to meet in person. And then the stock market drops, you know, 30% in 22 days. And that's a very emotional part. That's a very emotional thing for a lot of people. And they want to have access to the person that's managing their money and watching out for their wealth. So to be able to do that and provide a similar experience to meeting face to face, they could see me, they could, you know, they could see what we were going through, I think was a, a real advantage during that period. How did that work out for you? Very well. Yeah, it worked out very well. So I just took you through what we call ask, 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 tell. Ah. And, and I didn't tell, but so as business leaders, 
when we hear a challenge that we think we can solve, we yep. typically go right to how we can solve it. And what I suggest to, you know, to learn more about GPS yeah. is ask at least three questions after you've had the first question answered. So my first question to you was, what was your number one accomplishment? You said the conversion to virtual. Yep. Well, why was that so? Can you tell me more about that? Now, you may not have to ask all these questions. Right. And then your fourth question, which I didn't ask, is, is there anything else? Yeah. Would you believe we work with seasoned sales teams all around the world? And they're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I don't do that. I yeah. ask one question and I go right to what we can help them with. Yeah. So, so you can learn more and more GPS. You told me about your customer struggles. Yeah. Uh, they, they were passionate about wanting to, to, to you know, be in contact with you. Yep. Uh, they were worried about their money, another struggle. Um, it sounds like you navigated them through it. And typically you can get a business leader talking for 10 minutes with that one, with one question and those three other, those three asks. So, yeah. so that's how we suggest you locate GPS that you don't jump to a conclusion too quickly. And, oh, well, our other clients we do this for. So we're, they don't want to think your other client, their other yeah. clients. They want to think they're your only client, even though they know you've got other clients. Sure. That reminds me of that old saying that you hear when that, that's why you have two ears and one mouth, you know, to be able to listen more is you really can connect on, on a lot, much deeper level. That, that does make a lot of sense. So how have you been, how were you able to create a systematized way to measure the value or the success or the depth of a relationship with someone? I wish that was an easy answer. <laughs> so, so again, you know, when you are uh, starting a business and you've got no income, innovation happens through desperation. Right. And, um, you know, and, and you talk to people who, who might be customers or who are in the business you're trying to, in the market you're trying to get into. So, you know, everybody liked the stories and they liked the theory, yeah. GPS, there's some other process tool or uh, theor theoretical tools, but they say, you got to have a process. Yeah. If you're going to sell to corporate America, they buy process. Mm -hmm. So we created a process called the relationship ladder. Okay. And it's five steps that take you from an acquaintance to a peer to an advisor with that other person. And we built an assessment around that based on customer behavior or prospective customer behavior. And we, 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 this, we, we've now conducted 10,000 assessments. We've assessed 50,000 relationships wow. all around the world. And because the assessment was built not for salespeople, it was just built for business people. Right. So the, the fact that if, 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 we're, if you're with a customer and they extend the meeting yep. past the time, you get points for that in the assessment. Right. If they don't respond to your correspondence, you get negative points for that. And, <laughs> and there's, you know, there's waiting and it was built by Villanova University. Uh, their HR master's people, they're built that for us. So it's, it's, it's valid. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, you know, we, we, we wanted to build a business where you can not only prioritize, but you can actually measure the strength of business relationships. And then what do you do about those? Yeah. So that's the, that's the process we use. We start with measurement, we do training and development, and then we remeasure at the end. Yeah. Um, so that, I hope that answered your question. No, I tell, that's a really interesting thing for me because I once had a superior say to me, 
people like you, you just have to figure out how to make money from it. So, it, you know, and how to make that a career and, you know, to be able to quantify right. that is a really powerful thing to do. How long did it take you to, to you to come up with yeah. that, that to make it, you know, a, a valid process? Probably took six months to a year of testing it. It, it was a paper assessment initially. Okay. And then we, we, um, through the power of the World Wide Web, <laughs> uh, we put it online. Yeah, and, right. And I love I love calling it the World Wide Web because nobody calls it the World Wide Web anymore. Of course, yeah. But it was the World Wide Web back then, back then. when we built it. Yeah, www. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> right. So now, so now, right. Yeah. So now, you know, now customers they just literally uh, they they get a code from us. They go out. They take the assessment. It gives them a nice report about what their relationship strength is and, and, and individual ideas for the different people they assessed in there, yeah. all behavioral, not, not psychological. So the average person can, can take the assessment and not be confused by it. It takes about 15 minutes. Okay. Um, and when, when you're working with these Fortune 500 companies or you're working with these professionals, what's the most common mistake you see these people make in an attempt to build or, or strengthen a relationship? Um, not the top 10%, but the other 90% right. sound like everybody else when they're selling. Yeah. They sound like everybody else with the questions they ask. Their behavior is like everyone else's. Um, so we're not after the top 10%. We're after the 90%. Right. That's top better for your business. We don't want to mess with them. Like, right. exactly. we don't change anything. Yeah. Like, don't come to these, don't come to these trainings. <laughs> don't use the CRM. It'll mess you up. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. But, but the, the other 90, and, and, and one of the common things, if I, if I had to take that to the next level is they ask stereotypical questions. Mm -hmm. They use stereotypical closes. Uh, they are not necessarily thinking about the relationship as much as they should. Yeah. They're selling. And you know, there's one of my favorite old sayings that I think I invented was people don't like to be sold, but they love to buy stuff. Yeah. And, and how do we create experiences for customers where they're buying stuff? In your case, clients. Sure. And we're not selling. Yeah. The cab driver, Max, was not selling. We were buying a ton of his time. Yeah, because we just couldn't get enough of that experience. So, so the most successful salespeople, I find, they don't even really understand their products. They really don't, <laughs> because that'll mess them up. What they do understand is how what they're proposing to do will impact the business performance yep. of that customer. Florida State just did a survey of buyers. And 85% of buyers expect that other person, the vendor, let's just say, sure. to understand their business and the impact of what they're providing will have on their business. Yeah. Take a guess how many salespeople actually can do that. Just pick uh, a number, a percentage. Percentage? 30? 14%. Wow. So the bar is really low. To do what we to, to do what we call speaking the language of the customer. Yeah. So in other words, they tell you all the cool stuff that they have, but not what the customer gets from it. Well, for for we call those sources of value, the really cool stuff, right? Yeah. We call those sources of value. And here's an example. Well, our stuff is made in the USA. Right. 
Okay, now I'm okay. a buyer and I'm worried about delivery times. I'm worried about sourcing. What I like to hear is, well, our products are made in the USA so that you can be assured of on-time delivery. Right. Oh, that's the language I want to hear. Yep. Made in the USA. Maybe I like German engineering. Right, right. <laughs> well, you're saying made in the USA, and I really don't like made in the USA. You know, yeah. I, I want to buy stuff from Germany. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's the, that's the thing. The sales professionals are not, most of them are not attuned at speaking in, in, the, in sometimes the very simple words, not mm-hmm. the marketing terms that the marketing department gave us. But why does that help me? Yes. And, and it, 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 you know, again, I always use made in the USA as an example because that might not mean anything to a purchasing person no, uh, who is really not cared about where the heck it's made. But if it's made in the USA, there's probably a pretty good chance I'm going to get it sooner than if it's shipped from China. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's right? a really great point because you know where you see that a lot is you see it on websites. It's all about this is everything we do. We do this. We do this. We do this. And I always think, okay, well, what does that mean for me if I'm buying from you? Right. You know, what do I get? Not what do you give me? What do I get? And how does that help me? That's interesting. So let's say you let's say you say we're going to help you build financial security. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, Brian. You just said to me, Ed, we're going to help you b- build financial security. Yeah. How would you translate that? For me, like financial, like I don't like what does financial security mean to me? Right. What would you say? Yeah, you. I mean, first of all, you have to definitely ask questions. Well, how, what that, why that's important to them. Talk to them about the importance of money. Why money makes them feel a certain way, and then say, mm-hmm. okay, well, you are unsure whether you're going to be able to achieve your goals, and we're going to give you data. Uh, to help you feel empowered to be able to make a decision that you're going to feel confident in. That's sort of how I would 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 go down that road. I think. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 helping them make the best decisions they can. Right. I understand what, that. Yeah. What I, I wouldn't do that. is talk about this cool investment product that I have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. right. Like, because everybody has cool investment products. Right. Right. Everybody's got cool stuff. Exactly. It, it, and, and everybody can show show a, a bar chart, <laughs> you know, their their investment growing. And if you put this much more in, it grows like this. Everybody can do that. Yeah. But what's the end game for that person? Oh, you know, I really want to retire to the keys. OK, let's talk about what that's going to cost. Yes. And let's work backwards. Yeah. And let's right. Hey, listen to me. I'm not I'm not a financial planner. Right. But I'm sure. Thinking about, OK, how would you connect with me about that? Jeez, I didn't think about what that's going to cost. Yeah. I just thought I needed a boatload of money. No, no. Let's actually take a scenario. Yeah. Where you buy a condo in Key West and let's work backwards. You're right. And see. And you want to leave some money to your kids and you want this and you want to fund the college thing for your grant. Like, let's let's look at all of those. El- I understand that. Yes. Right. I, yes. I don't understand financial security. Sure. I understand that. Yeah. Most people don't dream of an investment account size right. as their retirement. They think about running around on Key West with their grandkids, or, you know, over spring right. break. You know, that's that's a that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to go you're, back to you're do that now, aren't you, Brian? That's right. I'm, I'm going to take some notes. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, you talked about how Fortune 500 companies, you know, are super process oriented. They seem to be for a lot of consultants and a lot of people in your space, sort of like the, the golden goose. Like you could get into a Fortune 500 company, you know, think, but it's very difficult to crack in. How do you think you were able to 
resonate with the people that were making decisions to be able to be so successful on that Fortune 500 company level? You know, it's really interesting. So let me take the first Fortune 500, which is a customer now for 12 years, Dow Chemical. Okay. Yep. I got introduced, a friend of mine knew the director of marketing at Dow Chemical. Okay. He handed my book to him. That guy gave it to the guy who was heading up sales training. Yeah. And he said, you should call Paul up. So I emailed Paul and I get a response pretty quickly. Yeah. And I, and Paul was, was literally starting from scratch with his uh, sales process. And I said, well, Paul, you know, this call is really premature at this point. And, you know, so, so I asked him a bunch of questions, what he was going to do. And then I said, you know, why don't I touch base with you in three months? You know, let you get your feet under yourself there. Yep. And, you know, we, 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 when we can talk more about that, he goes, well, hold on a minute. I said, okay, what? He goes, do you do keynote talks? I go, yeah. He goes, we got a sales meeting coming up. Maybe that's <laughs> the way we can introduce you. I swear. I swear. And it's been multi hundreds of thousands of dollars that's wow. come from that initial interaction where Paul didn't feel like he was being sold. Yeah. That's he amazing. just felt like, hey, this guy has my best interests. He He's thinking about my situation. He's putting himself in my shoes. Right. Next thing I know, the guy goes, do you do? I go, yeah, I do keynotes. He goes, well, let's talk about that. Wow. That's pretty amazing. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's how that one worked. And then uh, as Paul left and went to another role, I was introduced to other people. And, and what was, I was really fortunate whenever these transitions happened, I built a good enough relationship where they were more than happy to make sure I was still insulated there. Yeah. And that's happened that- in more than, more than one company. Funny how that relationship was the important part. Yep. Yeah. The one thing that I wanted to ask you about is uh, when you're getting your company set up in the infant stages, you know, I'm always fascinated by people that write books because that seems so insane to me that someone can write a book, right? So do you have the idea for the business and need the book or does the book inspire the bit? Well, it's the chicken or the egg. Which one came first? Well, I thought about what's going to make me different. Okay. There's a ton of sales trainers out there. There's, a, I, and, I, and I picked the platform relational capital. Mm-hmm. So I picked relationships. And then I thought, well, you know, what? when I walk into a meeting, if I hand that person a book, yeah, there's probably a stronger impression that I'm credible than if I start referring to other people's white papers. And did you read the thing that McKinsey just wrote? And like, you know, and all that, or, right. um, so I, I don't want to be viewed as a consultant. I want to be viewed as a thought leader. Yeah. So, so I think if you're going to start a service business mm-hmm. in any area, you know, publishing stuff is a really powerful way. And, and now you don't have to publish a full book. Yeah. Um, you know, LinkedIn, in my opinion, is the, is the number one business networking tool. Absolutely. And, with more millennials who are hitting around 40, early 40s now, you're one of them, right? Yep. I'm technically Gen X. You're in, are you, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, technically okay. Gen you're X. A yep. cus, you're a cusper though. You're right on the cusp, I, right? I am, on the, I am a cusper. That's for sure. More and more millennials are in decision-making capacities now. Yeah. And the first place millennials look at for people, from my experience and everything I research is LinkedIn. Yeah. 
So if you have a, an awful picture of yourself on LinkedIn, if you don't really present yourself well, uh, and maybe they don't see if you, maybe you post a few things and posting is simple. You don't have to write it. Just share what somebody else posted and say something nice about it. Right. Yeah. That's it. And we're actually teaching a course now on this, Brian. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's um, social selling with LinkedIn. Okay. And, and again, it's not selling. You're not, nobody's going to buy anything from you, but it's, you're being vetted. So right. Put your best foot forward on LinkedIn create a network on LinkedIn, contribute to the community of that network. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's something that, you know, until four or five years ago, I was not involved really in it at all. Really? Uh, so I think that's an important element of it. No, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. I love the How's idea. Your LinkedIn profile, Brian. It's, it is strong. Um, you'll, this, this podcast will oh, be good. posted on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do love the idea that in order to be a thought leader in your industry, you should be using your own thoughts as opposed to borrowing someone else's. That, that seems simple, but that's a really good point. Well, consultant or thought leader, you, there's nothing wrong with either one. Sure. It depends on whether you want to be uh, an independent contractor. Yeah. Or if you want to, you know, kind of run a business or start a business. Yeah. And again, there's no judgment either way. Right. I know plenty of friends and they do one client at a time and they've built wonderful lives for themselves and their families. There are other friends who really wanted to, you know, create IP. Like, yeah. like I licensed my IP to this company that I, I sold to. Right. So not only do I have, a, have a, an opportunity here to continue to grow, but they pay me a royalty every month on whatever we sell. That's great. So I've created a little retirement um, annuity. Guaranteed income stream. Guaranteed income stream. There you go, brother. <laughs> um, so let me. T- you mentioned it earlier, but I wanted to circle back to it about you doing keynote speak uh, speeches. Mm-hmm. So and that they're coming back now. But during the pandemic, what happened to your keynote business? Well, sales teams were still getting together. Yeah, just virtually, and uh, keynote's just a small part of our business. You know, sales training workshops training programs, engagements. That's really the lion's share of our business. But I I remember I gave a virtual keynote with over 900 people on the the chat box. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, And then I gave another one for the Strategic Account Management Association, and there was 400 people on there. Wow. So, um, and then there were some smaller ones, 100 people. I'll tell you, once you get used to this rectangle, it's, the sky's the limit. It's true. Uh, it, it really is. I, I did one for um, I did one for this one person. She hires me all the time. And, and she sent me a comment. And I can't say it on here. <laughs> and it says, you F-I-N-G kicked A-S-S. <laughs> That's awesome. So I said, can I use you kicked <laughs> She said, yes. <laughs> Edit the other part out. That's awesome. So, you know, I just, I just have gotten very comfortable uh, talking this way. I, my, my in-person personality comes out. Yeah. Um, and what's great is, especially if I have someone helping me, I can pull somebody in through a chat that I see. Oh, Rachel. Yeah. Rachel in San Antonio. You were... You know, hey Rachel, and and next thing you know, Rachel comes on. Yeah. Right? So so um, 
I, I, and I think the other thing, the older I get, or should I say the more advanced in my career, I just feel like I'm helping people even more. That's great. My kids are grown up now. We're, yeah. we're, we're not quite empty nesters, but we're, are, you know, we, we're very independent as a couple now, as far as what we can do together. And sure. um, I, 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 everybody's like, well, when are you going to retire? I'm like, I'm just getting good at this. Right. I retire. And why would you, if you're, what else am I going to do? I I mean, I golf twice a month. That's plenty. Yeah. I don't want a boat. I sold my shore house. I I just want to, I just want to travel and meet people. Yeah. And uh, this is what I worked all these years for. So that's awesome. And do things like, and do what we're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have two final questions for you. The first one's an easy one as a, as a former college baseball player, where is your son playing baseball and what position is he playing? (laughs) Well, he finished a great career. He's the third winningest pitcher ever at Newman University. Wow. Uh, he topped at 89 miles an hour. Oh, wow. And believe it or not, he's still training over at a facility not too far from Delaware. You probably heard of Maple Zone. Sure. And uh, he's still chasing the dream of, um, of getting picked up by an independent team. So um, he was working for the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. Uh, he's, and then the pandemic hit, his internship ended. So he's been working with us inside sales and he's been just doing really well. Uh, he finished his master's and now he's uh, he's interviewing with the sports teams again. So that's, oh, that's, great. that's where Grant is. My older son, Brett, uh, he's working at the local movie theater uh, and he's happy. He's as happy as can be doing that's that. That's great. Um, and uh, my wife went back to nursing because she was bored because nobody was around. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Yep. Yep. And then the last question I want to ask you is, so you sell your business that you, you created yourself. How was that process? Did you have any sadness of you not driving this, the, the ship anymore? How, how was that process for you? Brian, the deal that I struck, how could I be sad? <laughs> Okay, perfect. Say no more. That's all I, that's all I can say. Say no more. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, this was great. Ed, I, I really appreciate your time today. I, I couldn't have enjoyed our conversation more. It was great. Right back at you, Brian. I'm so happy to see how well you're doing. Thank you. Everything you too. Your family's doing great. And um, you know, if I can help you in any way, you know, I'm always there for you, brother. That's great. Um, for, for our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about his business or to buy his books, go to AchieveNext.com or anywhere that, that books are sold. I think they still sell books on Amazon, right? They do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you want to connect with me on the Untapped app, my username is brcarney 7 uh, To learn more about how my firm helps business owners with their financial planning, visit RiversEdgeAdvisors.com. And to hear past episodes of the podcast, go to happy half hour.com. And for the Pills Mafia, I'm going to give this a three and a half out of five. So I enjoyed it. I would definitely drink it again. And uh, good luck to all those Bills fans out there. Ed, thank you there so you much. Go. It was great to great to be with you. Thanks again. Right back at you, Brian. Take care. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.